Welcome to Teaching Brute. Today is the final bit of the conversation that I had with Trevor McKenzie, and we're going to chat specifically about the elementary students and what inquiry looks like in an online classroom for them. Let's let's kind of pivot a little bit and let's talk about elementary schools because when pandemic hit, there was a lot of pushback about putting our younger students online. Uh, you know, there were screen time concerns, there was ability concerns, you know, it's like, oh, kindergartners can't do technology. So what would inquiry look like if you were online in an elementary class? Yeah, and, and you know, rightfully so, those concerns are valid. You know, I, I'm a parent of two sons, eight and 11, and uh, those are concerns for me as a father. I don't want my sons online the whole time, the whole day. Uh, not just questions about screen time, but also, you know, really realistic implications. Like, how am I going to work from home when my parent, when my children are trying to learn online from home? It's it's very inequitable. And so, yeah, I, they seeing, hog the bandwidth. They do. <laughs> and, and, and they're needy. You know, it's not easy online learning. So they have a dozen questions every hour and, and you're trying to do your thing as a as a teacher and they're trying to do their thing as a learner. It's just it's really challenging. And yeah. so what I've seen successful, especially with the littles, is we need to provide choice within our mm -hmm. curriculum to have students kind of go to places that allow them to begin learning from a strength-based perspective okay. rather than a deficit-based perspective. And so what I'm seeing elementary schools hit out of the park around the world are what we call choice boards. Mm -hmm. They're a digital, whether it's a slide or an interactive PDF, but there's a nice, beautiful image that is kind of framed in an overarching concept that is from our curriculum that we want our students to explore. But within that slide, there are anywhere between eight, maybe seven or eight, and a dozen different areas students can go and click that take them to different resources. And this is really neat in that, you know, the auditory learner can click on something that suits their learning style and also suits their curiosity, suits their engagement. And what I'm seeing elementary school teachers do, teams, is they come together and they build a choice board together. So you don't have 20 different teachers building 20 different boards. You have three teachers building a board together and they all go use that board with their students. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, almost like a database of choice boards where if you have all your teams making different boards on different concepts, well, that's laid out your next few months of instruction. Yeah. Uh, or I should say interaction. So choice boards are really fun because then what you could do is as students begin to show you interest in different kind of pathways within a board, you can begin to categorize your kids into little clumps, little cohorts. You know, if you see three or four students kind of gravitating towards a similar pathway, well, that's your breakout room for your next Zoom is you get those kids in that breakout room and you know how to differentiate for mm -hmm. them. And so it really becomes a way of, of us working smarter and not harder. It's not 20 different things for 20 different kids. It's how do we provide choice and begin to see patterns and themes emerge and then leverage those to personalize from there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not the opposite. It's not working you know, tirelessly into the night trying to be all things for all kids. It's how do you provide some parameters around learning, but within those parameters, there is opportunity for voice and choice. Yeah, and I think that having that voice and choice is probably the key thing to successful online learning, no matter what age. Uh, it's something I didn't do choice boards. I had I like heard the term. I was like, what is this choice board? I didn't really understand what these choice boards were until we were back 
face to face. But I know like, if, I'm go- if we're going back online, when we go back online, absolutely, yeah. I am definitely doing choice boards with my secondary students. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. like I just, yeah. and I've seen them done uh, as like bingo style where you yeah. just need to do one from each column. I've seen them done as uh, menu style where you have your appetizer, your salad, your entree. That's, that's adorable. Dessert. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's different ways of doing it and it fits every subject. Yeah, it does. And and let's go back to that first point, which is, you know, voice and choice allows the online learning landscape to be a successful one. And, and it, it is more than ownership. It, it goes back to that strength-based start point versus a deficit-based start point. Our students are anxious as it is in remote learning. You know, this yeah. is a global pandemic. This isn't properly designed remote learning. I did that when I did my graduate work. Some of my courses were online and for the most part, they were beautifully designed. And, and this is more emergency learning. It's and then, you know, we say yes. remote learning, but we we all pivoted in for some of us, like you, Mandy, hours. You were told yeah. you're going online tomorrow. And that wasn't properly designed remote learning. And no. so our students are anxious, our colleagues are anxious. How do we start from a space of success first? And and you know, it doesn't matter the modality. Shouldn't we have the same belief system in the brick and mortar? Shouldn't we start from a place of success and strength first? And so that's what voice and choice allows. It's more than just voice and choice over content and curriculum. At its heart, it's you're taking ownership. So let's make some decisions based on what's going to suit your learning needs, your strengths and your stretches. And so by putting kids in the driver's seat, absolutely, partly in the driver's seat, I would say absolutely remote learning is going to be much more successfully experienced by everyone. Yeah, for sure. So if you've got a teacher who wants to kind of get going with more inquiry stuff that they haven't really done it before. Do you have some words of advice for them? Because, you know, as somebody, I remember the first time I stepped into an inquiry classroom, to me, it looked like chaos and the teacher wasn't dealing with it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. You know, it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that it does look like chaos, but it's very organized chaos yeah, and yeah. the teacher may look like they're not doing anything on the surface, but like a duck underwater, you know, yeah. they're paddling hard. Yeah. So what what advice do you have for a teacher who's like, you know, I'm liking what I hear. How do I get started with this? Yeah, well, I don't know if they like what they hear after you just described that chaos. I'm backing away 100%. But no, you raise a couple of great points that I'll speak to uh, uh, after the fact. But I think, you know, definitely take baby steps. You know, inquiry could be a, a big change for colleagues around the world. And so we take small steps towards making those big change a reality. And small steps, what I mean by that is, you know, co-designing is an underpinning of the inquiry classroom. And, and I encourage teachers to begin with co-designing something co-design anything co-design you know online learning expectations with students co-design co-construct rubrics with students co-design you know research pathways with students co-design the the teacher they want you to be ask them what's an effective teacher what what do you want from me so i can better meet your needs and what you're doing there is you're kind of co-designing the role of the teacher and and so what you're doing is you're sharing the experience and the shaping of the experience with your students you're giving them a voice over decision making that will actually impact the experience. And so that's a baby step. I think many of us have co-designed a little. I would say co-design more. Um, You know, this notion of uh, inquiry being chaotic, 
At times it is. At times it looks a little bit like a hot mess express, as Rebecca likes to say, my co-author. But there's so much intentionality and, you know, explicit kind of uh, thinking behind what's happening before you and and how students are collaborating, how they're communicating, how they're designing and co-constructing together. I, I think that is so, so valuable and so rich when it comes to building those competencies. So in letting go of some of the control of the traditional classroom kind of behaviors, you're actually nurturing this really rich, the, the morsels, those competencies we want students to leave our schools with. So, you know, don't be afraid of a little chaos. That doesn't mean you're not getting something really, really valuable out of that <laughs> mess. So I suppose what I'm speaking there to there is be comfortable in the mess of uncertainty a bit. Be, be comfortable in giving up control and empowering your students in taking on more control because what you're doing is you're nurturing those competencies. You know, another small step, Mandy, and, and I'll just kind of, you know, I'll give three, hmm. I've done two, I'll give one more. It's, it's to be playful with questions in your, in your unit design and in your lesson design. And what I mean by being playful is, you know, use those big overarching ungoogleable questions to frame your units. Everything you do in your unit should be to, you know, kind of answer or explore that question. And then get your kids to ask questions, almost like smaller categorized questions underneath that overarching one. And, and so questions begin to guide learning rather than learning objectives. Like I know we all have objectives and standards in our curriculum, yeah. but I tell you, there's nothing more stifling the curiosity than writing a learning objective on the board because all kids see are, well, that's the game I need to play. You just told me what I need to know. Like there's no curiosity here. There's no wonderment here. How do we keep the objective, but frame it in a question? And questions inherently are what they're inviting. Like, let's yeah. talk about this. Tell me what you know. Tell me what you don't know. And let's build a new understanding together. So uh, in, in inquiry, it's not an either or. It's not that we do inquiry and we can't do our curriculum. It's how do we reframe both so they're woven together and, and we are actually exploring and discovering our curriculum rather than kind of cover or, 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 or dumping it on our kids, right? Yeah. And, and those are some baby steps. And for some listeners, they may be big steps. But don't beat yourself up. Take some small steps and 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 reach out. You have a friend in me, and I'm always there for you. Send me a DM or an email or listen to a podcast such as this to grow your inquiry practice. Yeah, totally. Well, I am I'm really glad you you've sparked my thing. Yesterday I sat in a meeting uh, in which we were told that we will write the learning objective for every lesson up on the board. And I was just sitting there going, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And, but, yeah. you know, I, I'll reframe stuff as questions. Well, I'm I, all about learning targets. Like, I love understanding by design. You know, Grant Wiggins, Jay McTighe have been yeah. mentors of mine. Like, I was heartbroken, just heartbroken when Grant Wiggins died. And Jay McTighe oh, yeah. kind of a, a mentor and a friend. And, and I, I got to tell you this, Mandy. I was sitting on a plane to Chicago about four years ago, and there was a young man beside me. He was 12 years old. And as I do with kids, I, I want to ask them questions about school. Like, tell me what school's like for you. And I asked him, I said, what's the worst part of school? Like, what do you hate the most? And I, my heart would have been broken if he said English, because <laughs> I'm an English teacher. But he actually, he blew my mind. He said, the worst part of school is when teachers write the objective on the board, the goal on the board. And I said, really? Because in my DNA, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I've always been told that's the right way to do it. Yeah. And I said, why? And he says, because it kills my curiosity. Like, I know what they want me to do, and, and what's the point now? I know the hoop is, is essentially what he was saying. And, and that's really stuck with me. You know, how do we welcome and encourage curiosity in everything we do in the classroom environment, 
rather than kind of stifle it and say, no, 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 curiosity is not good in this space. And that's one way that we can easily have an objective, but reframing it to invite curiosity and wonderment into the classroom. There are many practices inquiry teachers do to spark curiosity and to encourage that wonderment. And, and that one bit, you know, reframing goals and objectives into questions is an effective one. Yeah. Because yeah. teachers think that it's an either or. Like, I, I can't do inquiry and hit the objective, but, but you can. It's just how we reframe a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are a lot of standards to hit in a year. Which means there you can are. have a lot of questions. There are. And that's the beauty of inquiry. Let's keep on questioning. Let's just circle in questions in our learning. It's a beautiful thing. So just before we wrap up, do you have like one piece of wisdom that you just really want to share with people? What's like the one takeaway that you want them to have, whether they're reading your books or listening to podcasts or watching your Instagram? What's, what's the one thing that you really want Oh gosh, it sound, it's going to sound cliche and, and corny, but it, it's so true in, in everything I do in my work, in my teaching. Uh, I think it's a little bit of how I live life and, and it's truly, you know, do what you love doing uh, and, and everything comes becomes easier. You know, you and I were talking before we hit record about mm-hmm. having too much on our plate and, and becoming maybe less saying yes to everything, a little bit more, no, 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 you know, what goes on my plate is is because I love it. And I think that's really important, you know, from the outside looking in, it may look like I'm really busy and I'm doing a bunch of work, but it doesn't feel like work because I I love what I do. And I want my students to have a similar experience. I want to walk into schools and visit schools around the world where teachers love what they're doing and kids love what they're doing. And so I guess what that comes down to is what's your core belief as an educator? What is your core? What are you going to hang your hat on that are going to guide and simplify all the decisions you make through the messiness of a global pandemic and shifting to remote learning and assessment and curriculum change and leadership change. If you have a core belief that is, I, I want to love what I do and everything is aligned to that belief, then all that stuff is like water off a duck's back. So I ask teachers who are listening, you know, find what you love to do and only put things on your plate that are aligned with that. And I think everything becomes a little easier in this already really challenging profession and, and, and time we find ourselves in. Did, did you just give permission to teachers to not write report cards? Uh, well, that's a whole other story. That's funny you said that because I love writing report cards. So have me on a podcast in the future and we'll talk about why I love report card writing now compared you to know, 10 years ago. my curiosity is peaked. There we go. I provoked you. That's the next episode. I appreciate that, Mandy. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting, Trevor. I really appreciate it. And I think we are going to be talking again in the near future. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. It's uh, my honor to to have you here with us. And uh, thanks again, Mandy, for hosting. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this series that I did with Trevor McKenzie. You can find us at Teaching Brood on Twitter. And please make sure to leave some feedback on iTunes, Spotify, or whoever your favorite podcast provider is. Have a fabulous week, everyone. Bye.